You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Together is a terrible idea. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> hey, welcome to Poiropod. Poiropod. So we are uh, we are here, Portia and Amanda, and we are here to excited to discuss um, what is so far. Our least favorite. My least favorite uh, Agatha Christie book because um, it's it's cheesy. It's Would so, say that? Yeah, and it's so like all of the cliches. All of it's interesting because I feel like in her regular books, she always owns, like she always makes a reference to like that only happens in books. Like I feel like she's really good at like acknowledging right. the genre and acknowledging the typical trappings. But like right. in this one, you know, in in the mysteries, Praro, you know, has this ego, but like for some reason it works. But in this one, he's got the ego, and then you're like, you're kind of the worst. Like that, how other people must feel about him comes through to the reader on this. And in the mysteries, Hastings doesn't understand what Praro is doing, but it's fine. It's adorable. It's cute. But in this one, Hastings is an idiot who doesn't know it over and over again. Yeah. And in a way that's just like terrible instead of like quaint. Mm-hmm. So basically um, also, uh, acknowledge the um, terrible Asian racism that is in the book. I mean, I guess like in, in the end of the day that the master mastermind is a Chinese guy in a way that I think that the author admired. Right. But it's almost it's Asian fetishism. Yeah, yeah, it has a lot of that. And then the other thing that I thought was insane was it kind of reminded me of the first spy-ish one where, like, there was just an evil genius just to be an evil genius. So I think these big four, they were, let's be the baddest bad guys to bad guy to just ruin society. They weren't like, because, like, in real life, we have bad, bad, bad guys, and they just want to make a lot of money and exploit everyone. But they're like, we're going to take down the world as you know it. To right. just destroy it for absolutely no reason but badness. And she kind of went back to that, which she had done in, in... Which was the first one that she did that in? Uh, uh, Man on the Brown... No, no, no. Uh, oh, my gosh. The one with Tuppence. Oh, yeah, yeah, The Secret Adversary. Yeah, because, like, The Secret Adversary was, like, a good guy who was just like, I'm going to be bad. And it seemed like this. she kind of went back to that, like... The reason that there was these like four axis of evil people like this best scientist and the smartest criminal mind and this that like they were all like right destroy things so not let's right. a little bit of a context so okay let's give context yes so this is context Poirot today. except for it's Poirot does spy which is like right. it doesn't work because it's it, like and it, and I, it didn't know that it wouldn't work but didn't just doesn't work so the plot is Hastings comes back from Argentina and then stays with Poirot, like, and then they fight this international criminal spy organization that has four people in it, a Chinese brain leader, an American businessman with a bunch of money, a French scientist, and a British assassin. 
And then the entire book is random small stories looking for clues um, against the big four. And then they have the final showdown at their, this, you know, the headquarters for the big four in Italy. Um, but like, uh, it's so random. And then the, uh, she wrote him apparently as short stories in 24 and it wasn't, published. it actually makes more sense if it was in short stories because yeah. it, it doesn't really go together as a book necessarily. And there'd be a there's a lot of like junctions where it was like, I was really bored and waiting for something to happen. And then as the reader, you're like, me too. Hastings, me too. <laughs> right. So, um, but that's the plot. Like, the, that's the entire plot is there was all these little random short stories. Um, and then, but the themes are, and this is what's disappointing, is it's like the themes, she has a bunch of themes, as we discussed. So, like, the big four are supposed to be around the world. So, obviously, Hastings was coming from Argentina. They're in Britain. Um the leader is in China, French, American, you know, like, we yeah, be, but somehow he fights big four the entire time by going to random small towns in Britain. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they end up in Italy, right? Is that where they end up? Right. Like, that's the farthest they go is they go to Italy. And then it's a big deal because Hastings has never heard of the place they go. I looked it up. It's a real right. resort mountain. Yeah. So somehow the big four is like taking over the entire world, but they're but doing it, yeah, all these things ha- are are key in these yeah these small murders that happen in random tiny towns in England. So, um, and then, um, so the what was so frustrating about the book. Is how many cliches she throws in. Mm-hmm. So the book starts with a very dramatic entrance of a man at the door who can't remember anything and doesn't say anything. He's so mysterious. And right. He, he shows up to words. die in their office. Right. But Poirot's like, no, no, no. I have to go because I have a gig. Right, and then again, Hastings had to come back from Argentina, randomly leaving his wife for an indefinitely amount of time, but everything's fine. And then Praro is randomly moving to Argentina, but not going to tell his friends. So, like, comedy of errors. They cross paths in England, but they're both, like, but Praro's on his way to Argentina, but turns out it was all a trick. Right, so the guy who is clearly in fear for his life shows up at their door, gives them a little bit of information, and then is exhausted. But they're like, no, 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 we have to go to the train. Right. So Leave this random person who came to die in the office with important information. Just forget him and let's go to the train. Right. And then, like, midway, Praro's like, oh my gosh, I was getting out of, being getting, gotten out of the way. We should go back. And then he, of course, was dead because you left. Right now, why wouldn't he have just said, "I gotta go to the train. You stay here. And <laughs> right. Keep yeah. an eye on this random guy who came with this big information right. to die in my office." Right. But I mean, it was so cliche that literally, 
Hastings says something like, it's not like somebody is just going to show up at your door. And, and then, then someone showed up at the door. And somebody shows up at the door. I mean, it was that, you know, like. Right. Yeah, and it's like, I feel like normally in her book she does that kind of thing, like, that's the only kind of thing that happens in books, and I like the way she kind of nods to that in every book. But in this one, it's like, it's not like it's a cheesy spy novel. Cheesy thing happens, (laughs) and we're supposed to take it seriously. Oh my god, so cheesy, and there's so many, I mean, because of course, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief when you're reading, you know, like a, a, a murder mystery, where you're like, huh, that's, you know, the odds of that but i just had so many you know times where i was just like huh so like yep. um so then you know so the guy the magical guy who shows up and then dies says who the big four are but he doesn't give any names he says the name of the chinese guy he doesn't give the names of the other three he just says their nationalities mm-hmm so, but then they do go to Paris. Actually, they do go to Paris. Like, I suppose they did go from London to Paris. Ooh, right. they went so yeah. far. But they go to Paris, and then um, the French scientist um, uh, ends up tricking them and kidnapping them after a rigmarole, right? For sort of no reason. Again, like, she was like, she's supposedly the best scientist in the world. She's France's treasure. She's, you know, the legacy of Marie Curie. But she's also like, let me kidnap you into my lair instead right. of like letting you go on your way and believing that I am this, you know, above suspicion scientist. Let me kidnap you into my lair. And the way that she, they get out of it is so weird because the the way they get out of it is they get kidnapped by goons, right? She's got goons because, you know, they're the evil scientists or even evil, you know. They have yeah. So they get kidnapped by goons, but then the goons go away, and Poirot says, "Let me have a cigarette." And then right. says, "I, I have to. You have to let me go because my cigarette is actually a Carrare blow dart." Right. So she happened to give him the one cigarette from his pack, unless he packed all of his cigarettes to be. Kirare blow darts that night. Did she happen to give him the Kirare blow dart cigarette, or is he just lying? And why would she fall for it if she's this great scientific mind? And then it's like, and then he's she he, she could literally like just dodge in any direction. And and he's saying goons. all this with a cigarette in his in his belt, like she could just slap him and knock that right. She's got goons, and you're just like, eh, do I buy that? <laughs> And if he's got one of cigarette in his pack that is, is is the poison dart one, is that the one that she happened to hand him? How did this all work? Right. So then there is the British assassin who is Right, who's this one. master of disguise who who somehow keeps being all these different people and you never recognize him. Not one thing is in common, except for the fact they meet his ex who said that he dabs his bread around the table. Right. But that's his only tell. Which is, like, fine. You know, like, I saw The Saint with um, Val Kilmer. You know, like, fine. He's that guy, right? But, but some- okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I like that as an analogy. But somehow he was 
Cold fusion. Or months. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Having the same flashbacks. Also, I think that movie is the reason I'm gay because of Elizabeth Shue. Like, I'm just, oh my God. Really? You watched that and you went, and you went, and you went Elizabeth Shue. Okay. Well, because I thought that he. It was, was either that, but it was probably Adventures in Babysitting before that. And then, like, when I was a child, and then, like, that one was like, you know, the, the, the kicker was just like, you know, cold fusion. And, and she, remember, she had the formula in her bra. It was so hot. Formula, the the, the oh, formula was literally in her bra. But Val Kilmer was the one who was super hot. See, this is he was so gross in that. He was all like weird and naked and like laying around. You're like, put some clothes on Val Kilmer. Okay, so there you go. So there it is. Let's test for whether you are attracted to men or women is is <laughs> the saint apparently. <laughs> she was so scientific, and then her formula was in her bra. Anyways, anyway. <laughs> So he's like, this guy is apparently, you know, the bell camera for the saint. But but my problem was in the book, they were like, we meet this guy and he's been here for several months. And then at the end of the story, oh, wait, it's actually the secret assassin actor. Right. Yeah. Like the chess player has been there and like had time to like have this niece and all the things. Right. So there's not enough time for like these are these are really long cons that he works for seemingly very little Right. Like, what was, why did he impersonate that chess player for months and like adopt his niece and all these things to what end? Like, I think, well, that one actually had a reason. It was because um, the chess player was the uh, heir to a fortune. Yeah, but they already had the American guy's money. Like, they didn't need more money. It didn't really make sense. Like, why would he go on this long con of impersonating this person and like, it just, it just seemed like because they've already they've already answered that question for us. They're like the American has he's a millionaire, he has tons of money. You know the you know, French lady has all the science knowledge, and apparently the Chinese guy had like evil genius to offer. <laughs> but like right. so, it's like why would he do this con for money? Right, that's a good point. So yeah, because he because um... they ended up killing that other chess player with this whole thing with the magnetic chess piece. To kill the other chess player so that he wouldn't know that it wasn't really him, but like to what end? It's so good. We don't know. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. It it makes no sense. Um, let's see. Uh, what else was interesting? Which I guess what were you telling me that started out as short stories? It makes more sense because that would be a good short story. Right. Like the story was like, but in the book it felt like not a lot of time because like if this had happened over ten years and he did all these different cons, it would have made more sense. But like in the book, it felt like this was over a short period of time because like Hastings is still on leave from his real life in Argentina. Like it still feels like a few months, not like right, right. years. And so like okay, so he has time to go deep. This this the British assassin has time to go deep cover in all these different situations. And we could never really figure out why. Right. And most of them was like, why was he the doctor in the yellow jasmine case? I I still don't know. Oh, right. Yeah. Again, like, I forgot about that one. But yeah, it makes more sense if it was short stories. And then that would have been kind of, in some ways, better to me if it was like, this master criminal is this master of disguise who just keeps, you know, sort of catch me if you canning all over the place for fun. Right. And Pearl was chasing him. Like, that would be more fun than, like, making it part of this big four thing. But Right, because the big four thing was actually disappointing. Because it was like, okay, rich American businessmen are evil. Well, duh. Like, I mean, that's also now times also. Right. And so, exactly. <laughs> um, so, okay. 
Um, let's see what else was interesting. Uh, themes that happened that bugged the heck of me. First, um, Hastings not only was stupid on purpose, like Hastings, like Praro set him up to be an idiot patsy. Yeah, a lot. He used so, his friend to be like, I'm not going to tell you what's going on because you being dumb will help. So, And Hastings doesn't even understand enough to be offended by it. So first time was, he was like, would you pretend to be um, a different guy so you can apply to be a secretary for the rich American? Right. And he knew that the big four would figure it out the whole time. So the entire time he was like, something's going to happen. And it did. And then Hastings was like, oh, God, it was danger. And he was like, yeah, I knew they would do that to you. <laughs> um, let's see. What else uh, did they that they set up um, him as an idiot? Uh, he didn't tell him that he had made his wife put her in a safe place so the big four couldn't find them. And then right. they came and when Praro was gone, they came and like said, um, you know, your wife has been kidnapped. And he's like, oh, God, I have to go and I have to try to save her. And like, they were like, I, we will kill your wife. Right. But somehow Praro had like put her in protection, but not told her husband. Right. Like, why, like, why would you not tell him that? Like, why would you not be like, oh, yeah, by the way, this relates to your life, not mine. This is your actual wife, but I put it in protection. I'm not telling you. Um, the very end climax. The whole like, I have a fake twin. I don't have a fake twin. Like that was just like cheese balls. Right. Which the whole thing was, he was like, "Don't come." And <laughs> things like, okay. "I insist." And then the whole thing, he was there. He was like, "That's actually not Perot. It's his twin." And they're like, oh, okay. Paro we believe it because your dumbass sidekick is clearly can't lie and like thinks this is the twin, not really you. But then also, like, Paro faked his own death before to that. his own best friend. Right, right. Like, he did not, that was the biggest one. He didn't tell Hastings that he was going to fake his death so that Hastings would look actually sad at the actual funeral and the big four would let their guard down. So he faked his death to his best friend. And, like, made him go through mourning and all that. And even even as a narrator, the one time that, like, you actually relate to him as a reader, because he's like, I, it's still hard for me to talk about that time, because I'm sure because you literally thought your best friend had died. Like, you actually thought he was dead, and then turns out it was all like, just kidding! Over and over. Which, of course, you know, f um, faking the death and coming back, you know, Sherlock Holmes did it, so it's not like a unknown trope in this kind of thing. But um, he just treats Hastings terribly. He just treated Hastings like shit. Um, yeah. And then, but also like Hastings um, in, and it must have been Ray was written because multiple times in the book says, I've never felt this close to death. So like <laughs> when Madame, um, was it a Madame Olivier was her name? Mm -hmm. French scientist had kidnapped him the goons kidnapped him he said something like the quote was like never um have i or since then have i ever felt that close to death right he says that right but then like three chapters later when they think that he thinks that his wife has been kidnapped 
Right, and they're gonna throw him in the river if she if he doesn't give her, her up and right, or what gives Perola, up, right? And so he's like, "Okay, screw you, I'm ready to die," and he closes his eyes. And I'm thinking, if you wrote two chapters ago that you've never felt that close to death, but then <laughs> this happens, what? Yeah, it's it's a lot. So he keeps, you know, and so that's the cliche part of it. So not only was the suspension of disbelief in terms of these, like, you know, uh, uh, coincidences, like she happened to give him the cigarette with the curare, right? But also the cliche of like, I felt close to death, dun, 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 you know, like, yeah. And what's funny is, well, and then even at the end when um the the lady lets them go for their big escape right. and Pearl acts like it's his long con because he, he knows that the son that she thinks is dead is not dead and like I was like that's a really long con like okay so she's got a son who's supposed to be dead but somehow you know that he's not dead and you've been keeping this in your back pocket for this moment so that she can release you from the, the James Bond type tunnel before it all blows up right and like apparently, just like in the last book, suicide is the answer. So that like, these, the big four who are this axis of evil, when everything goes, when everything, when Paro calls them out and they're caught, they all commit suicide. And, and then the Chinese guy in China who's not there also commits suicide just because they cannot stand being Paroed. <laughs> it's like I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I, then like suicide is the answer. Like blow it all up and everybody kills themselves is a weird answer. Like actually made more sense in uh, Roger Ackroyd than it did in this. Oh, totally. Like why would they? Why would they do that? Like they still had like henchmen and a mountain. <laughs> like they had right, they the, the four biggest brains right. in evil. Like they had a lot going for them still, and they're just like, oh well, fuck it. You know, Pravo knows about us, so let's blow it all up and kill ourselves. Well, they did have the one meeting with the um, the head of Britain, France, and. Was there somebody from America too? I can't remember. Anyway, but they he was like, they're trying to take over the world. And they were like, I don't know, ma'am. That doesn't seem... Oh, good. yeah, 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 yeah. When he was like telling all the world leaders. They're like, well, that doesn't sound too likely. And I was like, you're right, guys. That doesn't sound too likely. Because the two what in part is like, why are they taking over the world? Oh, because evil. They want to break down the well, current they, order. I mean, which is probably just an advertisement for colonialism. Well, and they kept making references to the Russian Revolution. You know, like, oh, Lenin and Trotsky were just puppets and these other people were controlling. There was a reference to that. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, what's interesting is now we know more about the history of Russian Revolution and Lenin died. And I'm going to put air quotes around that pretty quickly after the revolution thank you for describing that it's hard for the people to see your air quotes over the air right but stalin uh took over not very long after the russian revolution and then stalin was awful and you know killed a bunch of people all in the name of the new revolution and so this question of was lenin and trotsky were they puppets um or you know the I could see people having like a conspiracy about this or they were actually trying to make things better for the Russian people. And then Stalin took advantage of that and then killed Lenin. And then it was like, cause Lenin's body is still in 
a uh, it's been over a hundred years and you can go look at his body because it's kind of like a worship of him that Stalin set up and then in that name could go do whatever he wanted. So it's interesting to see that this was written less than 10 years after the Russian revolution. And so people were like, that couldn't have just been a whole bunch of people who were angry at the czar and using communist philosophy to fight back against the czar it has to be that they were controlled by a by an evil mastermind evil mastermind yeah. which the the truth is a little bit more complicated because of course there were some true believers and there were evil masterminds i think stalin could definitely be counted as an evil mastermind in anyone's book um but it wasn't let's take over the world duh, duh, duh. i mean the people who fought in the russian revolution were really angry about world war one and um being oppressed by the czar so mm -hmm. but you know so it's interesting right and then even when you look at like stalin and other like figures that seek control it's not in this big four we're going to seek control because we want to like, she made it like their motivation was to uproot for uprooting sake, to dis right. destabilize to destabilizing sake. Like, it's kind of like they were, you know, just anarchists, and that was the evil. Whereas it's like, typically, when revolutions go to, you know what I mean? It starts off with a good intention, and then someone takes advantage, and someone is seeking power, right. and someone is right. seeking right. money, and they, they take advantage of something to get money and power. But not just, it doesn't, this is like, we're the big four and we're going to mess up your world order chaos. Right. And, and close to the end, when they were like, we're going to go up to Italy where they are going into their um, literally underground tunnels that they've carved in the mountain because, you know, this was a precursor to Bond movies. Literally um, underground lair. And it was like, I know this is predates that, but it feels so cheesy because of James Bond stuff and Austin Powers and all the stuff. You're like, oh my God, your underground lair is killing me. Right. But and then the way they get out the last minute and the explosion's going off and they barely get out. And like you're like, oh my God, you're killing me. Uh, but she says something like, there are thousands of people ready to do their bidding as soon as they take over the world. And I was like, really? And then if you kill them, that thousands of people just go away? Right, exactly. So then why did they all blow up their mountain and kill themselves just because Faro figured them out? Why didn't they just tell that there are thousands of people to just kill him? Right. Because <laughs> he's undead now, so... <laughs> Like, why, yeah, why did they just give up just because this one little Belgian... Right. Well, I mean, he did say that he had gotten Italy, France, um, America, and uh, Britain to all, like, come to the mountain to take them over. Right. But, uh, but yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about her Asian prejudice slash Yeah, fetish. let's talk about it. Yes. What's happening there? I don't have any context for it outside of, like, a 2020 lens of racism. I feel like you know more things. Well, I mean, because, you know, Asian fetishism is a thing. And it's been a thing for, I think, hundreds of years where, I mean, and the relationship between China and Britain is a fascinating one. I could do a whole thing just on that. You know, like, um, so, you know, like, okay, for instance, Hong Kong. Um, 
the island of Hong Kong uh, was part of how, you know, Britain came to China. It was like, we colonize. And China was like, no, you don't. Not here. And they were like, <laughs> but, you know, hey, how about we colonize just a little bit? And they're like, you know, fuck off. Not here. And they were like, well, what if we gave you some opium? And they were like, well, that made us a little bit weaker here have this island but you only get to have it for a hundred years and then right. you bring it back um and so then britain controlled hong kong and obviously was really steeped into chinese culture there um but they just it was like the the thing they always wanted but couldn't get because they never did colonize the rest of china they tried mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. But they never could. And so this, you know, like, um, but there was a lot of trade between China and um, Britain for all those, you know, years. Um, but the trade included this opium, which was actually, you know, it's funny because in her books, like a lot of people, they blame China for opium in Britain mm -hmm. when it was actually kind of the other way around where. Oh, I don't know this. I only know the stereotype that, yeah, that, that like, it's opium, like it's some sort of an Eastern thing. The opium wars was Britain trying to bring opium into China. Oh, shit. And it did, you know, like, and of course it's an addictive drug and it did, you know, some people did. Um, uh, yeah, it's supposed to be an epidemic, they say. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's, uh, so anyway, like, there's this weird relationship between the two because, and what I, so I don't know if I should define fetishism because this idea that like, I don't see you as an equal. I both desire you, but also uh, look down on you, look down on you and desire you at the same time. It's um, a nice way of defining it. Um, and so, because it in fetishism can happen, and we've seen it happen in lots of places. Um, it there are times when we just see that relationship between men and women. You know, I desire you, but I look down on you. If there's a fetish, but then this idea that um, sometimes um, it's been in the relationships of uh, white. Um, both men and women who say that they, you know, want um, an African American, like they're like, oh, I desire you, but then it's a fetish as opposed to a equal, like I'm falling in love with somebody. It's a fetish as opposed to an equal right. thing. Um, and so the her description of China and Asians in the book is very much that because. She yeah, it felt like that because she he, she kept referring because Parlo has this big ego and they keep referring to the great evil guy number one, who's um I forget his name but he's he's supposed to be Chinese and he's supposed to be the mastermind of all this. And they keep saying he's the greatest mind, he's the greatest criminal mind, he's almost as smart as Perot, he's smarter than Perot. So like there is some sort of like putting him on a pedestal, but he because his genius can has to be specifically as an evil person, right. And that's the whole thing. And I, and she does say like things like, 
the Oriental mind and the genius of the East. Um, So to kind of point out that like, it's not, it's like he's so smart, but in his culture, that's how smart goes is evil genius. Right. And what's funny to me is unlike Africa, which she had clearly traveled to, I don't think she'd ever been to China. I don't think she'd hang out with a with any Chinese people. Mm-hmm. So I got the sense that um, she wrote about this entirely fictionalized version of China in mind, which is why we never visited China. But even her idea of like, so she, when when um, Hastings gets trapped into this like your wife has been kidnapped thing, which could have just been avoided if Poirot had told him that his wife had been saved. But anyway, (laughs) he goes into Chinatown in London and it gets scarier and scarier and scarier. And he goes into this broken down house in Chinatown because Chinatown is a dark, scary place. And then he goes into a tunnel and then comes up from the tunnel and he's in the fanciest place he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. And that dichotomy was really interesting mm-hmm. because um, which is it, right? Is Chinatown the bad part of town? Or is it the super fancy? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that you don't even know about it. You don't even know how to get there, but it's so fancy once you have access to it. That's a good point. Um, and, which is a... And yeah... She also uses the word torturous to describe the Chinese mind or the Asian. Or I, you know, she would only use the word oriental. I, you know, and of course they said Chinaman, and then they said the offensive word that starts with C for Chinese people too. Um, it was all bad. All, all um, bad. But it, yeah, she uses the word torturous. Um. So it, but it was interesting because it, um, really felt like she didn't know what she was talking about like you know what i mean like well yeah and i guess that's sort of the definition of a fetish right like she's writing all this about this with with zero knowledge just sort of like making up these based on whatever media she'd consumed or whatever about right which was why i said it was different from when she she clearly had spent some time in right and we read that that she had traveled to, to south africa to southern africa before she wrote um man in the brown suit so and it wasn't necessarily that she'd interact with with actual africans but she had spent time with white people in africa and you could see that her the book spoke to that right so she didn't fetishize or in the same you know that kind of way she didn't have that kind of ignorance so it was interesting by the way there was i would say it was a different kind of ignorance a different kind of ignorance because <laughs> she um, was still like referring you know what i mean like i don't think there's no like african characters in that book yeah that's true so it's it's just sort of like this is a place we occupy and we do our british things yeah in your place (laughs) and and the black people in the book are props like they're children selling the animals or whatever they're just servants or props yeah whereas the chinese people but it felt realistic and that is how british people did and do interact with african people because in here she definitely imagines china in a certain way Hmm. Um. So, but it was yeah. What the evil genius who was number one did, I never could figure out. 
And we never figured out why they kept saying he was so smart because whatever he was doing, like they never demonstrated his smartness to us. They just kept telling us how smart he was. But what? you weren't sure. Like you said, a lot of the end game stuff was sort of like it's small towns in, in Britain. It wasn't, <laughs> it, there wasn't major global things happening that they demonstrated to us. They just kept telling us how smart he was. Um, I've thought of another example of the like cliche or just a man, I, I couldn't suspend my disbelief. So uh, when Hastings thinks is his wife is kidnapped and he goes into Chinatown and he's at this thing and then he has to write the letter to Poirot in order to save his wife. Mm-hmm. And Poirot sh- uh, shows up and Poirot has magically gotten uh, poison gas from yeah. the what? War department? <laughs> He did. He did have a poison gas bomb that somehow he his his ascot protected him from. <laughs> so he was fine because well, he had a fancy. He had so, a gas mask ascot. So it was like okay. So he's got a curare like cigarette. He's got right. poison gas just on. It him. was very James Bond. Like I have like he has got all these like random high tech tools that you don't know about until they're deployed right which is like wait a minute that's cheating you know like yeah so um yeah and it didn't seem like how in the mysteries how praro his secret power is his brain so he's just looking at like pieces of lint on the floor and figures it out in this case he's got weird technology and right which is why it didn't feel like a praro book at all right yeah because um, normally he, he always brags about how he could just sit in his chair and solve the whole murder. He doesn't have to run around doing stuff. Right. But this one runs around doing a bunch of stuff. And right. he's he's sort of James Bondsy, which again, I guess, predates James Bond. So maybe he gets the credit, but still it was cheesy from the 2020 lens. Oh, it was so cheesy. And then the final showdown, the fake brother. So let's talk about this. So, Oh, I am my own fake twin. So... <laughs> We first of all, he had faked his own death, and then Hastings is like, "I have to fight the big four. and everyone is like, "No, uh, Pro is dead. Go home. You couldn't do what he was doing." And he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not that dumb." And everyone's like, "No, you are. Seriously, go home." <laughs> but then again, and but but they keep making it like the big four is like really trying to pressure him to go home and like if he's this idiot that they think he is why do they care where he is be in london being in argentina he's not a problem to them but like they're doing all these pressure campaigns to make him go back to argentina because somehow his presence in london is cramping their style right that's true if they're going to try to take over the world from italy why do they give a shit it's random goofball being in london like why do they care but they keep sending all these pressure campaigns to him to tell him to go back home right but then Poirot, who has faked his death, writes him a letter from the grave who was like, go home. But then when he gets on the boat, it was like, actually, you know, I'm alive. Right. He kidnaps him off the boat and takes him to his other secret lair. <laughs> so then, like, he goes, I think I'm going to bring my brother into it. By the way, I have a twin brother. And Hastings is like, oh, okay. And, best friend for years. and even the way he says it, he's like, don't you know that all br- brilliant detectives have a brother? And so, like, he even sounds like a lie when he says it. Oh, totally. And then, so, like, he just kind of mentions it, and then he's like, okay. 
Um, and then they um, go to the resort outside of the lair carved in the rocks because right. um, and right. they don't tell Hastings but of course they're bait right, right. so that Mr. Mr. Multiple Disguises there is there spying on them and then even though Paro was like we'll never get spied on because everyone thinks I'm dead then, he, then they get spied on and then he Mr. Multiple Disguises recognizes them, but Praro sees him dabbing his bread. So we know that that's his tell. Good thing they had bread. And the so table. then he tur- transforms himself into his twin brother by putting something in his eyes to make them go from blue to brown. Which is not a thing. Um, and then... Are now times. Um, and then they get... Then he shaves his mustache... Right, and puts, and on, puts a on a fake mustache. So Which again, and then they said that he had a scar on his lip. So, was, and then I, I missed that. Like, was he saying that he got hurt in one of the fake no, death? Things? He did it on purpose. He made he himself get a scar. On purpose. He gave himself a scar on his lip so that he could prepare for this moment. Right, because this long con is like so long that months. Yeah. And someone so, as meticulous as Paro, who can't stand a hair out of place, would just gladly disfigure his own lip. And then how Hastings was with him up until the fake death. So how would he have not noticed the scar? Right. But anyway, so then they get kidnapped and they put, he put aniseed on his shoes. And then that's how they were able to track the entrance to the secret lair. Oh, I even missed that part at this point. I think I was just like, oh my God, make it stop. But I was thinking, wait a minute, wasn't he carried in? So how would the stuff on his shoes... That's a good point. How Tell them where to go if he, they said he was carried in. I'd say they were carried. And then they go in and they find the big three because the Chinese guy isn't there. And then right, so this guy is like kind of you know he's he's the he's the villain of the whole thing, and we never meet him mm-hmm. because she clearly doesn't know how to write an actual Chinese person right um and then um when the they all go they find out he's like, um, oh yeah, because this we have to talk about Vera Rosikoff. Um, but but they get there and they're like this isn't the real Hastings is like this is his brother and he's like that's right you can tell them and he was like your voice is different your mustache is different and you have brown eyes and he's like yeah Poirot is actually outside and he's directing the whole thing and I thought wait a minute up until like a half an hour ago they thought Poirot was dead so when he says Poirot is directing and I'm Poirot's brother, I don't know, wouldn't they be still be like, wait a minute, I thought Poirot was dead, so maybe Poirot's just dead and you're his brother. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. And also, like, why does Poirot need to be directing it? Like, there's also, like, you know, like you said, the army of all these countries. Like, <laughs> Right, the British army might be outside, too. Anyway. Why does it matter if this is the twin or if this is him? Like, it didn't make a lot of sense why that was important for him to be his own fake twin. Yeah. And then, of course, that helped. 
it save them. Yeah, and then of course it it was fake. So okay, so Vera Rostikoff, she first appeared in Poirot Investigates, which we decided not to talk about. On a because book. it was a short story. Yeah, the short story one. And you read them, right? Though. Yeah. I did. So she first appears in there, right? She's a thief. Mm-hmm. And this is where the only time that Agatha Christie ever tries to make Perot seem slightly straight, um, going back to what we were talking about last time, you know, because he's like kind of attracted to her, according to mm-hmm. Hastings. And then, but in this one, um, I couldn't really tell what the purpose of her is, right? They didn't. They definitely didn't build up any sexual tension there. She definitely was like she was there to verify with Hastings that it was her, the twin, not him, because she knows him, I guess. But then also, but she figures it out quickly because she's smarter than Hastings. That is actually Praro pretending to be his own fake twin. Like he just takes her a millisecond to figure that out. Right, and then, but earlier she was working for. Madame Olivier and um, and we're not sure why and we're not sure why um, and she, this random like uh, thief that Poirot may or may not have had a, a thing with happens to be in the employ of this evil genius scientist <laughs> so yeah uh, anyway so then the how they escape is she's in charge of guarding them and so they have apparently according to right. they have all these goons people thousands of people and all these goons but they leave this you know woman with a history with praro to guard them and then he says hey by the way your your son who you think is dead not dead i saved him here he here's a picture of him i'll put you in touch if you save us right and so then she's like oh my god that's amazing what a long con Uh, (laughs) let's let's not die in this mountain altogether let me get you out of here also me right now i have a will to live (laughs) which you know like if he had figured that out a long time earlier why wouldn't he go to her and say i've saved your son why don't you spy for me right why don't you later on when we get kidnapped and i'm my own fake twin let's plan ahead that you'll rescue me right (laughs) but instead i'm gonna just keep this in my back pocket to tell you at the last minute in case you're the one who was guarding us right which in case the 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 evil genius has happened to put you in charge you a small woman in charge of guarding us with no weapon and then hastings is no henchman just you and hastings is so dumb he's just like um that what was that thing about the dead son that you gave her that must have been a lie he's like no no no, it wasn't there were so many times that Hastings was like, well, that didn't seem like it was that important, so I ignored it. Yeah, and it's like he does that a lot in the as the narrator in the in the mysteries, but in the mysteries it sort of makes sense because in the mysteries you're like, well, yeah, it does seem like that's dumb. And like you could see how like from the average person looking at this, that's the one. But like it's overblown in this one how dumb Hastings is and how Hastings like his lack of awareness, like so I assumed that that Praro was being 
and an idiot in this case and why would he ask about like it just it's too over the top oh his god, idiocy yeah, so many times where he's like and because he's a narrator so you're just like oh my god you're killing me man <laughs> seriously like yeah so many times when he's like well clearly he was supposed to ask about what poisons the chess player you know what he had ingested but he didn't and i knew that that was stupid and then it turns out the chess player was electrocuted um so but yeah there's so many times when hastings just was like well pro was being dumb and you're like well i know pro and you know pro is pro usually being dumb right (laughs) at this point in your friendship after how many years of friendship are you really going to be like i I think you at this point be like i didn't understand it but i knew he must have a method like i doubted him but i knew that he's always right so let me just see what happens and like when paro died and then he was like i have to fight the big four i can't leave and everybody's like you know if he couldn't do it probably you can't and he was like i'm not that dumb you know like he he's like i learned all his methods it's like no you have boo but you're it's like oh my god so um lost my train of thought oh so the end of this book <laughs> must be supposed to be set before roger Ackroyd because he goes um I'm going to, um, Pero says, I'm going to move to the country and grow vegetable marrows. Yeah, he does say that. And then he says, I might marry and range myself. Who knows? And, you know, and he's like, what are you talking about? And so, um, but, so it's interesting because uh, in where they were published as books, this clearly came out after. But, but what was- you're saying with the short stories, it was kind of before. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder if Agatha Christie was getting tired of Hastings. I mean, she really, she just, he, she just, abuses him in this one. And it's like, so but he's the narrator. So it's, it doesn't work. Like you could abuse the character if you had a third, like a impartial narrator, but with him as a narrator who she thinks is an idiot, as a reader, you're just annoyed. Right. So, yeah, I- and you mentioned at some point, and I know we're going to read the one where, um, you know, there's a stand in for her as a character who's talking about how she chose this random background for a detective. But in this one, it seemed like she was more annoyed with Hastings. Oh, totally. Um, so, so um, is this the last one where she did a spy thing plus Claro? Oh, God. Tell yeah. me yes. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> because this doesn't work. So, according to AgathaChristie.com, Christie was never truly satisfied with the novel and considered among her least favorites, referring it to to it as, quote, that rotten book. Well, good. I thought she agrees with us. dubious about the new offering, concluding that she was not at her best, especially in light of the previous years, the merger of Roger Ackroyd is certainly a tough act to follow. So, you know, like, yeah, after Roger and then, and then this about this is right, like during her divorce and stuff, right? Also, well, if it was, if the original stories were um, written in 24, that was before 
Um, but when she compiled it into a novel, when she compiled it into a novel, I she this was right it. in the middle of everything going down for her, right? Where so she's... maybe that's why she compiled it to a novel, in mm -hmm. instead of writing a new one because she was in the middle of you know a you know she was like I got to put something out. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting because it just felt like she could do spy and she could do pro, but. So, um, did you have anything to add about uh, her, um, what we know about her divorce and her, her, her brief disappearance and stuff? Well, it's interesting that... Because that was, that was before this book was published, right? Well, it was happening in 26 when she was compiling it. So... Okay. Um, so, I've... This book, more than anything of, of, of else of hers, feels like lazy writing. Mm -hmm. let's cliche stereotype trick you know hastings an idiot Poirot finds a trick it was a secret assassin chapa and move on i mean like <laughs> right so it's lazy writing i mean because even by this point there are cliches even though it's you know only the mid-20s there are cliches because you know the homes stuff has been around for you know uh right which is like those i'm pretty sure in each book we've read so far she sort of self-references that kind of thing only happens in books so like she's trying to own cliches and nod to them and avoid them right and in this one she's just like oh hell cliche hitting them all with a bat <laughs> so it's lazy writing and that's why i think it's disappointing because we know that she's capable of much better writing and so i think it's not it we don't see so much a insight into her relationship falling apart except for the fact that there are no relationships in this unlike it's true every other novel there's been some sort of cheesy happy ending with a couple and this one does not have that and hastings wife is you know gone you know he left her and then is for an indefinite amount of time yeah um so the relationship is just off screen completely but um so yeah no relationship at all and then super lazy writing yeah so unlike you know like there's an intro to um a set of her plays um that I would love to read the quote at one of these. It could be a good intro for a podcast um, that talks about when you read an Agatha Christie, you read it all night and then you look up at the end and go, oh, of course. And it's like this sense of satisfaction when you're like, ah, oh. yeah. And then they were talking about there are other ones that are um, the plays that she wrote, which are slightly different. But this doesn't have that. There's no like sense of satisfaction of like. Yeah, that's it. You're right. There's definitely missing. And I think that's, I'm guessing why you got into Agatha Christie when you were young and why I enjoy a British murder these days is that sort of satisfaction at the end. There is a satisfaction in like when it all comes to light. And this did not have any of that. Right. Like everybody died at the end, we think. Anyway, we didn't. The bad guys didn't take over the world. Yeah, but why was this weird detective in London 
being the ones who stop the bad guys from taking over the world anyway. He's not a spy. Yeah. And they're and they're again their goal for taking over the world didn't make any sense. Right. Like and that's an interesting thing is I hadn't ever thought about that um before doing this with you. How much the we when we enjoy the books it's because it has a good bad guy mm-hmm. you know like that makes it much more enjoyable when it's an yeah i mean like even roger Ackroyd, like i was mad because it was a narrator again and i was like god damn it i thought i'd rule that i thought i could rule out the narrator this time but he's a good bad guy like yeah like and then when you stop and think about it he's a really good bad guy and, and motivation is money motivation is money which is really everyone's most bad guys motivations right Right. so you believe his motivation and he's a really interesting good bad guy so when he gets the murder gets solved it's like ah yeah satisfying but this one we never meet the head bad guy we don't even know why he's bad we don't know yeah we don't know anything about him except for the fact that He's all nearly as smart as Paro. Um, I the American when he first meets Hastings, I just was thinking, oh my God, have you met any Americans, Agatha? Because <laughs> I wonder if I could, but he was like supposed to be this rich guy. Um and then when we uh, he starts talking to Hastings, his American accent is so I was like, how is it written? Because I again, I listened to the audiobook. How did did she write it out in some sort of like? Oh, totally. Yeah. Let's see if I can. Uh, I didn't uh, write it down. Um. By the way, the listeners can't see this, but your hair is amazing right now. You're winning quarantine hair. I am. Oh my. Yeah. God. This is great. It's it's so hot. Um. Yeah, I'm winning quarantine hair. Well, that's good to you. You really are um it's it's totally bleaching out so um it's kind of funny because it's like i'm turning into blonda all over again um just because i'm i'm going outside all the time and going on walks because quarantine yeah um, that's all there is all there is is walks <laughs> so yeah when hastings goes in his disguise which apparently Poirot was like yeah they'll never believe you in disguise but i want you to think that you're in disguise um sit down spelled s-i-d-d-o-w-n sit down he grunted um and this is what yeah according to this piece here you're the goods all right and i don't need to look further say are you well up in the social matters that's how she wrote american Um, (laughs) sit down yeah and then are you well up in these social matters <laughs> i mean and then and then he uh this is again supposed to be the american i mean to say if i have a lot of dukes d-o-o-k-s and earls and visc vi, viscounts and such like a viscount i don't know how you, and such like down to the country place i've gotten you'll be able to sort them out all right and put them where they should be round the dining table so that's right she- so he's american um but he's supposed to be a very successful millionaire and he still talks like 
little house in the prairie <laughs> like why right he... right and it's like, like yeah i mean because most american millionaires in the 20s he's gonna talk like john wayne right right but they would have been trying to actually sound british right like most american billionaires are trying to sound like they're refined so anyway it's yeah wow yeah that's interesting because yeah i don't know when i'm you know doing the audiobook what's a choice of which is speaking of which when it comes to reading this stuff on audiobook and i don't know how she's writing the chinese british people's accents in the book but i was like doing the audiobook and i'm like I don't know if you should made that artistic choice, Mr. Reader. Again, I don't know what year he read it in. Not that it's okay at any point, but like I was just like, ooh, these like fake Chinese accents done by a British voice actor. Oh, actor is not great. It's not great. But I was like, I don't know if he's just voicing out the way she's written it. Oh, I should. Or yeah, let me see. But it's hard. It's rough. It's rough to get through, and you're just like, ooh, <laughs> this is you shouldn't know stop it make it stop um let's see because you know like when they're in like you said when hastings gets to through chinatown and he's in whatever thing and they're threatening his life like that's definitely supposed to be chinese british people threatening him yeah when he first gets you know the thing that his wife was kidnapped uh so he says you captain hastings question mark you give me note please you have telegram today yes come along just now from south america yes you fetch him yes fetch him now yeah so you're at least you're reading it just as it's written with like you know like missing joining words but then we all know but 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 the person who voice acted also does like some sort of breakfast breakfast at tiffany thing also on top of that and i don't know even how to describe it but it's like it's my stomach i don't i don't like it i don't like it oh goodness (laughs) so then and then when they go into this special like underground and then he goes up and he's like in a magical well this was funny to me they go in i passed through into my utter astonishment found myself in a kind of arabian nights palace and I, I was like, thinking that I was like, you're mixing up your things now. Now we got all Asian fetish. We're gonna mix like you up- right. You're gonna you're totally missing up Arabia, which is not China. Right. These are very different places, and like you, they might have fabric in both places. But I was <laughs> I remember that. I was like, oh god. Oh, fabric. like you have an editor, right? You have an editor who's like. Arabian Nights is not the same. It's very far away. If you look at a map, it's not. It's, it's not like, the same. Not even, yeah. It's not. It's not even the same. And I, I could understand again, like, and if she had owned more of the fact that Hastings is supposed to be dumb and he's mixing them up, but she didn't do that. It sounded like her as an author mixing them up. Right. Like if she she could have been like, because Hastings so dumb, he thought it was, you know, it's like Christopher Columbus thinks he's India kind of thing. Like he she could have owned the fact that like anything foreign is the same bucket for you, but she didn't. Right. Although it's interesting the guy who was in charge in this who wasn't the head guy in charge but was in charge in london or whatever he spoke with a very fancy accent at least he goes who are you Li chang yen which was the and he goes indeed no i am but the humblest of the mastered servants i carry out his behest that is all as do other of his servants in other countries 
in South America, for instance. So he speaks very eloquently. Right. Whereas the guy just before didn't know how to use verbs. Right. You know, right. so there's also this like dichotomy is like, why is Chinatown like the worst part of town or is it like the fanciest? And then they have a Chinese um, person who speaks Italian. No, who speaks um, without verbs or with. Oh, right. No, I was saying later on when Hastings gets that clue from that random person who's a Chinese guy who gives him all this information about Italy because that's where the evil lair is. And then Hastings was like, it must be fake because he was saying stuff about Italy, but he was Chinese. My brain can't handle that. He also said, you know, and this goes back to like characterization of because. It turned out it was the servant of a guy that Perot had um, consulted with earlier, who was a hit guy who traveled to China a lot. So this was this guy's servant. And he was like, oh, maybe it was a servant. And I have met him. I never could tell Chinamen apart. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, And again, like, that's the kind of thing the author could distinguish the character saying that from that being an okay thing to say. Right. But she didn't. didn't. And again, because Hastings sort of an idiot, like you want to, as a modern reader, you want to be like, well, that's another thing that, you know, makes him an idiot. But it feels like a jump (laughs) to make that on her behalf. Especially since he's met multiple Chinese people in the novel. Right. You couldn't tell the difference right. between the fancy guy who was like, I kidnapped your wife and Mr. Ingle's servant. I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. By, he has become such an unreliable narrator in a different way from her earlier books. But when that scene happens, so Perot is, quote, air quotes, dead. And then this guy's like, there's a dying guy who ha- asked for you, come here. And he's like, maybe he's just pretending to die and give me clues. And then he says some things and he's like, well, some of it must be unimportant. We as readers are like, okay, Hastings, we know that whenever you say something is unimportant. Right. Yeah. Probably- we now know, like we've learned just in this book that if you think it's fake, it's real. If you think it's unimportant, it's very important. And with the reverse. Totally. We've just learned that in this book, but you haven't learned that. Right. Because you apparently learned nothing. <laughs> Which is right. Agatha Christie does hate him. Yeah. Because it's in this book, at least. From he grew in. <gasps> I wonder if he, like, in some ways was a stand in for her husband and she was mad because of, you know, him leaving her. Yeah. Because if she was, if she saw herself as, like, this great brain and she's writing the thing and then, like, her sidekick was like, sure, babe, that sounds good. And then she just took out her wrath. I don't, I'm just, I'm making huge leaps here. But. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's interesting because in both Mysterious, Mysterious Affair at Styles and in, um, uh, murder on the links per, uh, Hastings grew as a person mm-hmm. like he had a story arc amongst himself yeah but in this, this one, one he he's just a he just is like I love you no matter what you do to me uh, Poro even if you treat me like crap 
you insult me to my face and it's not even like guard it's not even like disguised at all um i you know i always think what's important is not and what's unimportant is and and i can't tell that everybody is lying but me you know like he's exactly the same through the whole book which is why he makes a very frustrating narrator because yeah you're right about that it's true because he doesn't grow at all we grow in the book right so but yeah that's why it's again lazy writing so he's unreliable not as a narrator not like roger ackroyd or um sir eustace from man in the brown suit he's unreliable because he's just like just stuck at this yeah you know uh um, yeah that's a really good point so next time we're changing gears to go to the mystery of the blue chain yes which uh is another hikuru poirot um it was back we're, we're back to his his wheelhouse yeah uh we're back to uh, and is hastings in that one i did read it but i need to go back again because um i don't remember it's been a while since i've read it i have to read it before we do it again um I feel like he's not in it. Maybe she, maybe I don't, she broke yeah, up with Hastings for a little bit there. Now, um, if you read Poirot Investigates, this is basically the Plymouth Express, but stretched out to the entire book. Right, right, right. So it's the same story. Right. Um, but um, um, we're back to having um, a bunch of uh, love stories in it. Mm-hmm. and yeah uh it's it's i think it's pretty good yeah i think so too i have to I have to come back to it after after recovering now from the big four right, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah that's what we're going to talk about next time so um and this one was definitely written after the divorce or after her husband left her yeah Elva had calmed down at least by then. So anyway, uh, anyway, so I think we'll like this better. We won't spend the entire time talking about how terrible it was. <laughs> how terrible it was. But thank you for listening to us trash the big four. <laughs> <laughs> In all sorts of different ways. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And we will talk to you guys next time. Sounds good. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.